The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. All right, welcome to today's podcast, March 31st, 2022. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU Sports Podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right. In today's episode, we are going to conclude our list of the 50 greatest Mountaineer football players in the 21st century with ranking 7 to 1. Before we get into all that, I just want to remind all of you, if you haven't already, please join our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter. Whatever you prefer getting on, just look for the Voice of Motown podcast. And that is a separate account from Brad's Voice of Motown account. So make sure when you do your searches, you search for both the Voice of Motown podcast and the Voice of Motown. Uh, Give both accounts a follow, a like. And if you're feeling generous, make sure to make a donation um, in the bio of whichever podcast platform that you are listening in. And look for Brandon's articles on the Voice of Motown website and social media accounts. And lastly, um, fan interaction. Please reach out to us. Let us know if you agree with our list or if you don't agree. We're getting down to the nitty gritty part where it does get a little controversial. So let us know if you agree with our top seven. So let's get into it. Number seven, Stedman Bailey. Stedman Bailey played at West Virginia from 2010 to 2012. You could argue that he is the best pure wide receiver to ever play at WVU. He is second in receptions with 210, second in receiving yards with over 3,200, and first in touchdown receptions with 41 Stedman holds several single season and single game records as well. These records earned him all Big East freshman honors, second team all Big East as a sophomore, and then first team all Big 12 and first team all American as a junior. Bailey did all of this in three seasons, choosing to forego his senior year to enter the NFL draft. He was drafted by the St. Louis Rams in the third round. And as we all know, his pro career came to an abrupt end with he being a victim in a shooting incident down in Florida. But that incident does not define him. Stedman Bailey will be remembered in West Virginia for being one of the most talented players to ever wear a Mountaineer uniform. Absolutely. And the the background on Stedman is really interesting, too, because he played high school ball with Gino and he was able to reunite with him up in here in Morgantown. And you could see that connection right away. Um, While Stedman didn't really do as much his freshman year, he did start all three years while he was here. And he really broke out his second year with his third year, his junior year being the best where he had 1,622 yards receiving and 25 receiving touchdowns on 114 receptions. Um, he was first in the Big 12 in receptions that year, second in the NCAA, second in the Big 12 in receiving yards, third in the NCAA, and first in the Big 12 and NCAA in receiving touchdowns that junior season. 
Um, that season, he also set the most receiving yards in a season and tied the most TD receptions in a season. Um, he also the, he broke the, those records that were previously set by Stedman Bailey in his sophomore year, where he set the record for most receiving yards in a season. And um, I think he had 12 touchdown receptions uh, that sophomore year, which was a tie for the lead. Um, he is third in the he was third in the Big East in receptions in 2011, first in the Big East in receiving yards in 2011. He was at the top, those sophomore and juniors, he was at the top of basically every chart, no matter what conference we were in. He was absolutely exceptional. Um, and what made Stedman interesting was that he was a smaller receiver. He was 5'10", 193 pounds. He wasn't the fastest guy, but he was an elite route runner with stick'em hands. He could grab anything. Um, he would adjust his body to catch anything. He would get up and make catches over people he had no business jumping over. He was just a fantastic receiver, pure and simple. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to compare him to anyone. Maybe in today's day and age, maybe someone like a Robert Woods, who's not a superb athlete, but someone who has fantastic route running, great hands, and just takes advantage of defenders by being smarter and quicker than them in space. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that there's more explosive players, which, I mean, we'll be talking about a few here later on. But um, in terms of just route running and getting open, I honestly don't think I've ever seen anyone better than Stedman Bailey play wide receiver at West Virginia. Um, he just always came up big in big moments. And, of course, the one that comes to mind is that famous Baylor game where WVU scored 70 points. And Stedman went over 300 yards and had five touchdowns, which is just insane for a single game. And just that season in general, um, he just had so many big moments. And, you know, WVU fans are still angry that he got passed up for the best wide receiver award, the Bolitnikoff trophy. Um, it went to Marquise Lee that year which you could argue, you know, Lee deserved it as well. But um, without a doubt, Lee and Sedman Bailey were the two best wide receivers in the entire nation that year. And I don't think many people would argue that. Right. Yeah. I mean, Stedman was just, you know, a hard worker. And he kind of took that connection he had with Gino and made it his advantage. Um, it seemed like he was always on the same page. He kind of knew how to adjust to the ball in the air. And I think that really helped him out. Um, I definitely think that he should have won the Blitnikoff. I mean, the numbers that he put up are absolutely ridiculous. Um, kind of surprises me that some of those weren't NCAA records, but unfortunately they weren't. Um, but still, it doesn't make them any less incredible. Um, you don't see numbers like that from wide receivers. You don't even rarely see those numbers from um, running backs. I mean, there, there are seasons in the late nineties and two thousands where quarterbacks weren't passing for as many yards as he had in the air that year. Um, and if you look at his career totals, when it comes to receiving yards, I mean, that's basically a, an elite quarterbacks single season, 3,200 yards, 41 touchdowns um, for a career. And that's in three seasons. Um, and definitely seems like he's maybe more than one under underrated receivers in the NCAA history, um, partially because, he didn't have a great NFL career due to that terrible accident that he had. Um, so Stedman Bailey, definitely one of the best receivers of all time. 
Yeah, 100%. And I feel like he would have, you know, maybe not set the NFL on fire or anything, but I feel like he would have had a decent length in his NFL career. I mean, he was hanging around the Rams. He had um, a special teams touchdown. He was getting catches, more catches as the years went on. I believe it was in his third pro season that the incident occurred. So I feel like he was, you know, just getting rolling and finding his groove. And, um, and then that happens. So it, it's terrible, but um, to find something positive, Stedman Bailey has been on our podcast and he is a very big advocate for victims of, uh, of gun violence. So he is trying to make a bad situation um, into a good thing by being a voice. Um, it's always good if you have a platform to speak out against stuff like this. And he's certainly doing that. So props to him for not um, shying away to talk about something that I'm sure is very difficult for him to bring up. And um, I just feel like he has so much knowledge. I hope a college program really gives him a solid opportunity and maybe he can um, stick around the college ranks and really share that vast knowledge that he has. Absolutely. Yeah. And he, he's a great human being um, by all accounts. Um, and, you know, definitely think he would make a great coach one day, you know, maybe not necessarily at college. We'll see what happens, but even at high school, it'd be great to see him get back into it, get his feet wet. Um, like you said, you know, with the hard work that he put in with his route running with his hands, that's all kind of hard work and understanding the game. And I think coaching is the a perfect fit for him as a next step should he choose to go that route. Yeah, 100%. And uh, we brought up the Baylor game earlier, but do you have a, um, you know, a highlight that you want to share about Stedman? Sure. Yeah. So my memorable moment was actually different from yours. Um, I picked the uh, 63 yard touchdown reception he had against Pitt. Um, He caught the ball on the post. He stiff armed the safety and then ran completely opposite field away from that safety and for a touchdown. Um, It was a big play. Um, and you know, always again against Pitt, that kind of always elevates something above other plays to me. Yeah, 100%. And I remember that play well. I believe it was a home game, wasn't it? Uh, I think so. I might be wrong, but yeah, I I think I remember that play. And yeah, like you said, uh, Anytime you're putting a good play on pit, that gives you a couple extra bonus points. So shout out to Stedman Bailey, definitely worthy of being in the top 10. Um, For number six, we have a guy that some of you might not have heard of in a while. Grant Wiley. Grant Wiley played at West Virginia from 2000 to 2003, and he was a tackling machine while he was here. He is West Virginia's all-time leading tackler with 492 tackles, and he ranked second with 47 tackles for a loss, and he had eight interceptions in his career. So Grant, he could do it all. He was impactful all four years as well, playing a lot even as a freshman. He won the Big East Rookie of the Year, second team freshman All-American, and First team all Big East his junior season. Um, in his senior year, Grant earned a consensus All American honor and led the nation with seven forced fumbles. So, Grant Widely is arguably the best linebacker to play at WVU in the 21st century, and his accomplishments definitely back that up. 
Absolutely. And he was the prototypical middle linebacker, the guy that you want in the middle of your defense to lead the team. He was absolutely incredible. Um, his best year was his senior year where he had 167 tackles, 99 solos, 14 tackles for a losses, two interceptions, seven forced fumbles. It's a mouthful how good he was that year. Um, and if you look at his career also, the one thing that he also finished first in at WVU all time was forced fumbles where he has nine career forced fumbles, um, which is crazy, especially seven in a season that, that, that number is absolutely absurd. Um, because you really don't see that anymore. Um, you know, he was third in tackles per game in the whole NCAA that senior year as well. Um, and, you know, he was one of the players that I was kind of surprised, you know, whenever I was a kid, that he never really made an impact in the NFL. Um, he was undrafted out of college. He was cut after his second year due to career-ending shoulder injury. But to me, growing up, you know, he was always one of my favorite players to watch. and. um you know, he would just seem to be that guy that NFL teams would want to have in the middle of their defense because he literally did everything that a linebacker is supposed to do. Yeah, 100%. Um, and there has only been 12 consensus first-team All-Americans in West Virginia's history, and he's one of them in their entire history, not just in the 21st century. So that just shows how special he was and how highly thought of he was by everybody. Um, he even ranks third in tackles in a single game. He had 22 against Syracuse as a sophomore. Um, and there was even some seasons where he was pretty banged up towards the end of the year, and he still just toughed it out and racked up tackles, which we know injuries, everyone plays through him, but um, he, he was just a different type of player in a very special one. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think that, of all the great players that came in, you know, through that Nealon era, you know, Grant Wiley has to be up there amongst the best. Um, he might be, you know, if not the best, the top three Nealon era player, in my opinion, um, outside of just this 21st century thing, because, you know, his stats hold up. Um, you don't just accidentally fall into almost 500 tackles in a career. Um, you don't just accidentally get almost 50 tackles for a loss and almost 10 force fumbles for a career. Um, you know, he did it all. And, you know, he was clutch too. I mean, you know, my memorable moment with him is that stop against Lee Suggs at the goal line in the Virginia Tech game at Virginia Tech. Um, WV was up. Uh, it was basically to seal the victory there to make that stop. And I think the, a play it later, Virginia Tech threw an interception in the end zone. Um, you know, he, he had plays like that all the time. I mean, if you go through his, you know, highlights page he's having interceptions in clutch moments he's forcing fumbles in clutch moments he understood the weight of the moment and he grasped it and he made the play with it and you know during that era of Don Nealon you know Don Nealon years it was kind of the downtrend he wasn't the teams weren't as good but Grant Wiley I think you can argue one Nealon a few more games those th four years he was playing for WVU yeah, 100%. And he also was a big part of Rich Rod's first couple successful seasons in that 02, 03 um, little span there. And so he was the perfect transition to helping um, everyone basically buy into the new coach and really just, you know, start the success that we ended up seeing later in that decade. Absolutely. And I, I thought it was interesting, too, that uh, after 
football, he kind of just was done with it. Um, he lost, I think it was 50 or 60 pounds. He went to theater classes, became a, a classically trained in theater. Um, he's a co-founder of a, a company called VPIO. Um, and he's also a writer and producer for film and television pro projects. He has appeared in movies such as Sex in the City, the movie, Limitless, The Adjustment Bureau, and TV show The Wire. So um, not a really big name star now, but he's he's making some making some waves there. And, you know, maybe one day we'll see him um, in a starring role somewhere and uh, we'll be able to reminisce about when we saw him chasing down ball carriers and wide receivers at WVU. 100%. Honestly, I didn't know he was in such, you know, big name shows and, and movies. I didn't know that. I'll yeah. definitely uh, look it up and see how his acting chops are. It must be pretty good if he's getting roles in films like that. Definitely. Yeah, I don't know how big the roles are, but I mean, still getting cast for big name movies. I mean, the Adjustment Bureau, that was, uh, who was that? Jake Gyllenhaal in that one. Limitless, that was Bradley Cooper. The Wire, obviously one of the best TV shows of all time. Um, they're not just picking up scrubs off the street to to be in there. So um, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Big shout out to number six on our list, Grant Wiley. All right, on to number five, we have Dan Moses. Dan Moses played left guard and center at West Virginia from 2003 to 2006. And he is without a doubt the most decorated lineman in West Virginia's history. The Mountaineers had one of the best rushing attacks in the nation all four years that Dan was on the offensive line. And he spent his first two seasons at left guard before moving over to center in his last two seasons, just showing how talented he is that he can seamlessly change positions. And Moses was named a freshman All-American in 2003. And then he earned first team All-Big East honors in his next three seasons. So huge contributor, even as a freshman, all the way up to a senior. But Dan Moses wasn't just recognized by the conference. He was a second team All-American his junior year. And as a senior, Dan was a unanimous first team All-American selection. Once again, only one out of 12 Mountaineers have done that in the history of the program. So, um, and he's one of them out of the 12. He also won the Remington Trophy given to the best center in the nation and out of all of the offensive linemen who have made our list, none have as many accolades as Dan Moses. And that's why he's number five on our list. Yeah, I mean, he, he's probably one of the best, if not the best, offensive linemen in West Virginia's history. Um, you know, he that Remington Award he won in 2006, he was a finalist for in 2005. He was also a finalist for the Outland and Lombardi Awards in 2006 as well. The Outland being an offensive lineman award, the Lombardi being, I think, a lineman in general award. Um, he was also a second team academic All-American. Um, he's in the WVU Hall of Fame, and so is Grant Wiley. I forgot to, to mention that on the last one. They're both in the WVU Hall of Fame. Um, and he was a Big East academic all-star from 2003 to 2005. Um, the one thing that I found really interesting about him too was that he won MVPs of WVU games. He was the MVP of the Wisconsin game during his freshman year. He was the offensive MVP versus Pitt in 2005. 
Um, and that's as an offensive lineman. Um, and it, it didn't just go to the accolades and the performance that he had that impacted his legacy. WVU was 38 and 12 during um, his career, including three conference championships, four bowl appearances, and WVU's first BCS bowl appearance in school history. Um, a lot of people talk about how valuable a great center is from high school all the way up to the pros. And Dan Moses kind of embodied that. And I think that's what makes things so exciting for WVU nowadays with someone like Zach Frazier in the middle who kind of embodies that the elements that you need to have an elite offensive line, an elite team and when you have an elite center. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I think um, Frazier is on his way to being close to having a lot of accolades just like Dan Moses but um you know he was just super special being able to contribute all four years and for as much as we said about his college career he still went undrafted uh in the NFL you know pros thought you know his size was a little worrisome so he went undrafted and then he was injured um I believe before the season even got started in his first year with the Vikings and the pro career just never really panned out. Um, but like like we've said about some of these guys, though, I mean, that, that shouldn't be a knock. He was, you know, I'll say it. I think he's the best offensive lineman that West Virginia has ever had up to this point. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's more than fair. I mean, he has been absolutely, he was absolutely incredible here. You know, I wish he could have had a better pro career because he seemed like someone who was destined to do that. Obviously, back then, um, you know, it was a little harder to come back from some of these bad knee injuries. And he has suffered that tour in ACL, but he's still around football. Um, he is now the assistant strength and conditioning coach at Michigan. Um, he is coaching there under the head strength and conditioning coach, Mike Barwis, who used to be at WVU and was his strength and conditioning coach at WVU. So it's great to see him still around the game. Um, you know, definitely someone that I wish was still playing football right now for some NFL team, but you know, it's great to see him still around and, um, you know, it just seems like that's what he was made for. Yeah, 100%. And um, once again, it's just good to see that someone with, you know, the vast knowledge that he has playing offensive line, that he's still around it, helping kids get built up. And I'm sure he's giving them tips as he goes as well. Absolutely. All right. Um that's it for Dan Moses. Shout out to him at number five. Coming in at number four, we got Avon Coburn. Avon played at West Virginia from 1999 to 2002. And I think it's safe to say he is the most accomplished back in Mountaineer history. He totaled 1,050 carries, a Mountaineer record that may never be broken for how the game is played nowadays. 5,000. 164 rushing yards, a Mountaineer record, and he had 42 rushing touchdowns, which ranks third, only behind Steve Slayton and Pat White. Um, Avon had 28 100-yard rushing games, another school record, and he is the only player in school history to rush for 1,000 yards in four straight seasons. So with all of these accomplishments, Avon was awarded second team All-Big East as a sophomore and junior, and then first team All-Big East as a freshman and senior, and a third team All-American his senior year. 
So Coburn is one of the greatest Mountaineer football players, not only in the 21st century, but probably of all time. Big shout out to one of my favorite players when I was younger, Avon Coburn. Absolutely. I mean, he was absolutely insane. Like you said, with the 4,000 yard rushing season, he was the model of consistency. He averaged between four and a half and five yards per carry each year he played in his senior year was fantastic. Um, 1,710 rushing yards, 17 TDs. Those were good for sixth most rushing yards in the NCAA that year. Second most rushing yards in the Big East, 10th most rushing TDs in the NCAA, and the sixth most, third most rushing TDs in the Big East. Um, he was basically the entire offense those four years he was at WVU. He had more than double the amount of scrimmage yards than any other player on the team in three of his four years there. Um, you know, Don Nealon and Rich Rod loved running the football, and Avon was the hub of those teams. Um, you know, Rashid Wallace was also on, um, but played with Avon Coburn as well. But Avon was the machine that drove the West Virginia offense. Um, and he was special. I mean, that, that's one of the reasons why, you know, we put Avon over someone like Steve Slayton is while Steve Slayton at his peak may have been better than Avon, Avon's consistency, um, even whenever he was banged up and carrying the load, um, I think is more valuable, um, especially when he didn't have really anyone to share, share that load with like Steve Slayton did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the only person I can think of who helped Avon out was Quincy Wilson, and that was mainly, you know, towards the end of his career. So it was all on Avon to really carry um, the end of Don Nealon's era and the beginning of Rich Rod's era. They relied heavily on him, and if he didn't perform, then the Mountaineers more than likely didn't pull out a victory. And so that's a lot on a college player. Um, but he just holds a special place for me because when I was young and first going to Mountaineer games, um, my two favorite players were Corey Ivy. If people don't remember him, he played wide receiver and Avon Coburn. And the first Mountaineer jersey that I ever got was Avon's. And I still have it hanging in my closet to this day because I don't have the guts to get rid of it. So Avon holds a very special place in my childhood memories. And he was just uh, a very special player. And like we said earlier, some of these records that he holds with the way football is played and it's not as heavy run, he might have some of these records for a very, very, very long time. Oh, absolutely. And also with, you know, how, how quick some players are to jump to the NFL anytime they have a, a big season. Think of someone like a Wendell Smallwood who had that huge one year and then was gone. Um, you know, the game of football has changed, so it's hard to find these four-year guys. And it's even hard to find a guy who can come in their freshman year and start and carry that load because it's completely different. The players nowadays are so much more developed than they were 20 years ago. Um, you know, you have kids coming out of high school who are shredded and, you know, look like they could play in the NFL tomorrow. Um, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, they still hadn't re completely refined the the physical, um, you know, workout routines for these college football players. Um, and Avon was kind of able to take advantage of that. Um, and it's just really, really interesting to see how his career turned out. And like you said, uh, there are many records where 
I have a hard time seeing anyone reaching those throughout their West Virginia career. Yeah, 100%, especially those carries. Um, You just don't see kids getting a workload like that anymore. So that's honestly one that I don't ever see being broken. Um, But yeah, do you have a special play memory for Avon Coburn? No, but uh, I did have um, some interesting post WVU stuff for him. Um, He was undrafted. He signed, he was signed with the lions, uh, played seven games with them before playing for the NFL Europe. Um, Then he played one year with the Miami dolphins where he didn't play in any games, but then ended up with the Canadian football league for six years where he was a three-time all-star and an MVP in the gray cup in 2009. Um, being how old some of the highlights for him are and the lack of smartphones around during the time when he played, it's harder to find highlights on Avon during the time, but you're more than likely to find highlights of Avon playing in the Canadian football league. So I didn't really go through those as much because I'm not really interested in Canadian football, but it was cool to see how many highlights of them, uh, of him there they were. And he was actually one fun story about him was that he was almost the first running back ever to rush for a thousand yards in the CFL. He was 50 yards short. He got injured and had to miss a couple games um, and ended up 50 yards short of that uh, thousand yard season, which would have been the first, which I think was a really cool story. Yeah. I didn't realize that, um, you know, it was that hard to get a thousand yards in the CFL. They must be real pass happy with that bigger field. Yeah. Also with the, the, the three down series too. Um, you only have first and second down. A lot of teams punt on third down. Um, really? Yeah, they don't have a fourth down. <laughs> huh, yeah, I didn't even know that. <laughs> Another fun story about the CFL, because I did go down on a rabbit hole with Avon Coburn in the CFL, is that he actually backed up Jarrett Payton, uh, Walter Payton's son, who played at Miami while um, Avon was at WVU, and they had some head-to-head matchups there, and he actually ended up taking Jarrett's job while he was there. So um, another pretty cool story there as well. That is cool. I remember watching Jarrett uh, for the Miami Hurricanes because we played them every year in the Big East. So that mm-hmm. is a small world. Yeah. All right. Um, shout out to Avon Coburn at number four. Number three, we got Adam Pacman Jones. Pacman played at West Virginia from 2002 to 2004. And he is not only one of the best cornerbacks at WVU. He was also an impactful returner while he was here. Jones totaled 205 tackles, eight interceptions, three touchdowns, and over 1,400 kick return yards, which ranks third all time in West Virginia's history. He made the first team all Big East in 2004 and second team in 2003. Pac-Man was so good as a junior He was even an honorable mention All-American. He chose to forego his senior season and enter the NFL draft. He was drafted sixth overall by the Tennessee Titans, which is the second highest selection for a Mountaineer in the NFL draft of all time. Pac-Man went on to have a lengthy and successful pro career, totaling 17 interceptions and eight touchdowns in the NFL. Shout out to Adam Pacman Jones. Definitely. And, you know, the, this line between Avon and Pacman kind of signifies to me um, these next few players are players that we'll never kind of see again during WVU's time, just because 
athletically, performance-wise, everything about them is just so special. And what I'll remember most about Pac-Man is that, you know, his, his sophomore year, he shared, he shared the field with Grant Wiley, but his junior year, he was basically the whole defense. I remember seeing him line up at cornerback, and he would make plays like a linebacker all over the field. Um, you know, he had 205 career tackles, 93 of those came his sophomore year, the other 80-some came his junior year, or maybe high 70s. Um, and he was just everywhere. You know, he was kick returning kicks, returning punts. He was making all the tackles on defense. He was breaking up passes, um, getting interceptions. He was literally the entire defense as a cornerback. You know, it's different if you're a safety or a linebacker. Um, I I can't think of any other time in recent memory where I can remember a cornerback literally being that impactful on defense other than shutting down a wide receiver. So I think that's what makes Pac-Man so special. Oh, yeah, he was. And he was a big fan favorite when he was in Morgantown. Um, And, yeah, some cool stories. Obviously, Pac-Man had his share of controversies over the course of his career. But it seems like, you know, he's grown from those mistakes. Pac-Man adopted his friend, Chris Henry, who we've talked about earlier in this list. Um, he, He adopted Chris's children and has made a commitment to raising them. So I think that says a lot about his character and the type of person that he is. Um, you know, some people will hold over some of the stuff he's done over the course of his career, but um, I think it says a lot about him that uh, it seems like he's matured and has really grown and learned from those mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think probably being away from football might help too. I mean, he, he was kind of a, you know, a, a prodigy in some ways at football. I mean, he didn't play really his freshman year. He played those two years at WVU, went pro, was the first defensive player taken in that draft, which is crazy. Um, they actually had a, a contract holdout because Pac-Man, you know, didn't want language in there that would void his contract if he got in trouble again. I think he just kind of knows what his limitations are. And ultimately he did get in trouble again, which led to him um, sitting out the following year. Um, then playing for Dallas for a year before sitting out another year and then ultimately finishing off his, well, not finishing his career, but playing eight years with the Bengals. Um, And, and, you know, I think he's one of those players too that, you know, had he stayed out of trouble, you know, you might look at his NFL career a lot differently. Um, Who knows what he could have been Um, because looking at it now, it was a pretty solid career. He's not a hall of famer or anything, but, you know, had he not had so many distractions and, roadblocks to come over during his NFL career. He could have really been, you know, a multiple time pro bowler or something along those lines. Cause he had all the tools to do it. Um, even as a punt returner, whether it be, or even at corner, um, he could do both at a pretty high level. I mean, he was still a starting cornerback, um, going into his age 34 season for the Bengals. So, um, that's hard to do for anyone, let alone, um, you know, a cornerback. So, Lots of kudos to Pac-Man. Oh, yeah. And he was definitely special even in the NFL. Like we said, eight touchdowns being a return man and a cornerback. It wasn't even like he played offense. So that's um, a great number. Plus, I forget the exact year. It was one of the years he was with Cincinnati. He was an all-pro. So, um, yeah, just a solid NFL career, uh, which is great. That's good for him. And, um yeah, I mean, like you said, we, we might not see another defensive secondary player 
at West Virginia like Pac-Man because he was just one of a kind. First guy, the first defensive player taken in the draft. I mean, how often do you hear that about a Mountaineer player? Right. And you know, one of my, um, this isn't my memorable moment, but, you know, I remember when I was a kid, we would go to the, I think it was the spring games. And afterwards you could go on the field and get their autographs and stuff. And I remember seeing Pac-Man walking around and I didn't think it was Pac-Man because he literally was built like a linebacker. I mean, he was huge. Um, I mean, not height wise, he's only about five ten, but like arm wise, like he was just built like a tank. And um, it always just surprised me how someone that was just that jacked could move the way he did. Um, he was just a freak. <laughs> yeah. And another thing I remember about us going to those and getting autographs, because I think we were in middle school at the time, he he had the biggest line. It was hard to get his autograph because everyone wanted Pac-Man. So um, like we said earlier, just a huge, huge Mountaineer favorite. Yeah, absolutely. And um, my memorable moment, was going back to another troubled, albeit much, 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 much worse person um, against Kellen Winslow in Miami, um, where he, I mean, we all know how big Kellen Winslow is. He's a, he's a big dude. Pac-Man being about 5'9", 5'10", 5'11", whatever he is, went man-to-man with Kellen most of that game, and he actually got the best of Kellen on one play in the end zone at the end of the second quarter to keep it a tie game, jumping in front of, Kellen muscling him out of the way and picking the ball off in the end zone. Um, Later in that game, they would get into a scuffle where Pac-Man would punch Kellen Winslow in the head. Um, Another memorable highlight that I don't think um, Rich Roderick appreciated very much, but nonetheless, still a good highlight because Kellen Winslow definitely did deserve to be punched in the head. We just didn't (laughs) know it then. Yeah, uh, I was never a huge Kevin Winslow fan because he played uh, on Miami, which obviously was a big uh, team that Mountaineer fans didn't like. But then he went on to play for the Browns, which is a team I didn't like very much either. So um, I was never a huge Kevin Winslow fan. And now he's just a terrible human being. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) we won't even get into all that. Um, All right, but yeah, number three, big shout out to Pac-Man. Coming in at number two, we got Tavon Austin. Tavon Austin played at West Virginia from 2009 to 2012 and is quite possibly the most talented player to ever play for the Mountaineers. He primarily played at wide receiver, but uh, he was also used as a returner and occasionally a running back, just wherever you could get him the ball. Tavon could do it all. He is West Virginia's all-time leader in receptions with 288, receiving yards with 300, yes, 3,000, sorry, 413, kickoff return yards and touchdowns with 2,407 and four touchdowns. And finally, he's number one in all-purpose yards, with 7,286. He earned first-team All-American honors his junior and senior year and was named the Big East and Big 12 Special Teams Player of the Year in two different seasons. This guy could, I mean, he could take over a game, whether it was his 215 receiving yards versus Baylor or his 344 rushing yards versus Oklahoma. Tavon is one of the most versatile players in the history of college football. And that is why he's number two on our list. 
Yeah, I mean, and it didn't start at WVU in high school. He led his um, high school team in Dunbar, Maryland, to three consecutive state titles. He was a two-time Maryland Player of the Year, and he set state records for career points, touchdowns, offensive yards, and rushing yards. Um, And obviously, all of that carried over to WVU because all those numbers that you said were absolutely crazy. Um, He's led the Big 12 in receptions. He's led the Big 12 in yards from scrimmage. He's led the Big 12 in rushing yards in a single game. He's also led um, all time at WVU the most rushing yards in a single game. And remind you, he also has the most receiving yards at WVU of all time. Just kind of goes to show how dynamic he was. Um, Honestly, probably the quickest, most natural running athlete that I've ever seen. Um, I've never seen someone stop and go and control his speeds as effortlessly as he did, Um, whether it be lining up a block for him to get downfield further or just doing something to make a defender look stupid. It seemed like at times he was absolutely untackable, untackable if that's a word, um, but you, you know, he, it, it seems like you, you didn't tackle Tavon Tavon, let you tackle him. Um, that's the best way I can describe it because I've never seen another football player at any level do the things that he could do on the football field. Oh yeah. I mean, he probably has one of the best highlight reels of all time. Um, and it's still talked about to this day. You know, we see it pop up on social media all the time. And what I think's cool is, you know, not only are fans kind of starstruck when we we uh, see him, but also NFL players kind of get starstruck when they meet Tavon. Um, there was a, I forget the exact one, but there was a Colts running back who there was a whole video going around on social media how he was, very nervous to even go up to Tavon because when he was younger, he used to watch his highlights all the time. So he was just every young football fan's idol when he was in college. And um, he brought a special feeling to Morgantown. Just every time he touched the ball, fans thought he was going to break it off for a big play. So you were never talking or too busy eating when Tavon was on the field because at any point in time, he could score a touchdown. Oh, yeah. And some of the stats that he has at WVU, too, Um, You know, we mentioned all-purpose yards, but it's not even particularly close. He leads the next closest person by 1,500 yards. He has the two most all-purpose yards in a single season. He is both one and two, and he um, is 400 yards plus more than the person third on the list. His stats were just absolutely out of this world. Um, I I honestly think that he might be one of the most dynamic um, one of the most untackleable, uh, one of the most fun NCAA players to watch of all time. I mean, I'd put him up there right with Reggie Bush. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a very good comparison. Very similar, um, you know, styles. And when you see them, you know, yeah, they almost look identical when they're out there. Um, he had 40 touchdowns in his career at WVU and all of this led to him being drafted eighth overall by the Rams and he's still going strong having played for Jacksonville this past season um and he had he's had a decent NFL career he has over 5,000 all-purpose yards combining his rushing stats his receiving stats all of his return yards and 29 touchdowns 
So, um, you know, it's not like he's taken the league by storm like he did in college, but um, he's he's definitely earned his spot on every team he's been on. And like I said, still going strong. I don't see him retiring anytime soon. No, and, I, you know, he's one of those players, too, that I thought was drafted into a bad situation. He played for um, Jeff Fisher and the Jeff Fisher offense, which as we all know, unless you have Steve McNair at quarterback is very bland and terrible. Um, no creativity. So, you know, it's kind of a bummer that his first, you know, four or five years were kind of ruined with that. And I think that held him back. Um, you know, you have to be a really creative mind to figure out how to use Tavon. I mean, there were times on the Rams where they would line him up at halfback and run him up the middle. I mean, Tavon's 5'8", 180 pounds. You don't do that. <laughs> um, but you know, that's maybe me just being a little bit salty about the situation, but you know, he's still sticking around because at least as a return man, he has always been dynamic. Um, three touchdowns just off returns during his career, which is pretty good in the day and age where a lot of teams are just taking knees and calling fair catches. Um, going back to the accolades he had while at WVU, he also won the Paul Horning Award in 2012, which is top special teams player award. Um, the Jet Award in 2012, which is the Best Return Specialist Award. Um, he also was eighth in Heisman voting in 2012. Um, I'm not sure how they determine who's eighth, but that's just what I read online, so don't kill the messenger. <laughs> um, and then as far as memorable moments go, um, two words, Oklahoma game. Yeah. Yeah, if nobody has seen the highlights of that, which I'm sure most people listening to this have, Go do yourself a favor and YouTube that. I mean, it's just ridiculous. He he was primarily a wide receiver, but he was so unstoppable. Dana Holgerson just put him at halfback so he could immediately get the ball and then just let him go wild. And he certainly did, going over 300 yards, rushing that game. Um, just insane. And I think you bring up a good point. I mean, if he would have got drafted to a Sean Payton team, or like, um, you know, talking about current day, like, um, you know, what they're doing over in the Rams with McVay. Um, I, I think he could have been, you know, a pro bowler and a very, very special player if, if people found creative ways of getting him the ball in space. Because even in the pros, when he was younger, he could make people miss. You just had to get him in a, a you know, the open field and the right situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, the one thing about Tavon that makes him special to me too, is that he's the one kind of highlight because he's, you know, recent enough that all the videos are in HD. It's, it's easy to watch and everything too. But, you know, if you're ever kind of having a bad day or you're just kind of, you know, need something to entertain you, you can pull up any of Tavon Austin's videos and they never, ever get old. I mean, it puts a smile on my face every time as a Mountaineer fan, just remembering, some of the things that he could do. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Special, special guy, and that's why he was number two. So shout out to Tavon Austin. And then coming in at number one, who else but Pat White. Pat White played quarterback at West Virginia from 2004 to 2008, and he is arguably the most beloved Mountaineer to ever play in Morgantown. And for good reason. He threw for over 6,000 yards, ranking him sixth all time, ran for over 4,400 yards, which makes him second most all time, and scored the most touchdowns in WVU's history with 103 touchdowns. 
Pat White was one of the most exciting players to watch in all of college football during his playing days, and the NCAA took notice. He earned freshman All-American honors, first team All-Big East his sophomore, junior, and senior year. Pat also won Big East Offensive Player of the Year in just his sophomore season. He is the first college quarterback to win four bowl games as a starting quarterback, and he finished his career with a 35-8 and record as a starting QB. Pat White is one of the greatest college quarterbacks to ever play, not only at WVU, but in the history of college football, and that is why he is number one on our list. Absolutely, and, and Pat White's story is... One of the best, too. I mean, he was recruited as a defensive back by most SEC schools coming out of high school. And WVU and Rich Rod gave him the opportunity to play quarterback. Um, he was also a stellar baseball player. He was drafted in the fourth round by the Anaheim Angels. and was offered a six-figure salary coming out of high school. And he passed that up for the chance to play football. Um, and coming in, you know, he redshirted his freshman year. But his redshirt freshman year, he shared the starting job with Adam Benerick for the first seven games. And then there was the Louisville game where he took over um, after Benerick got injured and led WVU back from a 24-7 um, deficit to a 46-44 win in triple overtime against the Louisville Cardinals. Um, his first year, he set the biggest record for a quarterback rushing yards with 952 and was also second in WVU all-time freshman rushing out of any position, just second all-time in rushing yards as a freshman, which is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, he his best year, in my opinion, was his junior year where he passed for 1,724 yards with 14 TDs and four interceptions, um, 1,335 rushing yards with 14 TDs. Um, and you know, kind of put into context how consistent he was too. He had three straight seasons with 1,500 passing yards and 10-plus passing TDs and four straight seasons with 950 rushing yards and seven-plus passing TDs. And to cap it all off with the wins, um, you noted he had a 35-8 and eight record. That is good for sixth most career victories in NCAA history. Yeah, it, I mean, it's just insane, and you could go on and on. I mean, he got, like, the the key to his hometown and, and uh, down in Alabama when he was still in college. So, I mean, he was, like, a, a celebrity, um, and he was still, you know, practically a kid in college. So it's crazy how he he dealt with all of this fame, even on a national level, because Rich Rod was in the athletic department was really smart putting WVU on a lot of Thursday night games back then, which gave them, you know, eyeballs nationwide. And with how entertaining our offense was, a lot of people like to watch West Virginia. They even got very popular on the um, NCAA video games using Pat White and Steve Slayton. Um, people still bring that up to this day. So um, it, they, they were almost iconic in Morgantown. And just looking at what they did, there was a game where Pat White passed for over 200 yards and rushed for over 200 yards versus Pitt in 2006 in the very same game. I mean, that is just insane. And um, his 10,529 total offensive yards is second in West Virginia's history, only behind Geno Smith. 
So he's in good company. Um, and then, you know, something pretty controversial was he had the NCAA record for rushing yards as a quarterback, which was broken later by Denard Robinson at Michigan. <laughs> What's that? Lies. Yeah, but the reason it's controversial <laughs> is Robinson lined up as a running back for a few of those yards, and he wouldn't have broke it otherwise. So in my opinion, that record is a little flawed because Pat White, you know, never lined up at tailback. He was always the quarterback. And so it seems like his record was a little more legit. Yep. That's why I said lies. Denard Robinson (laughs) is a running back. He is not a quarterback. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, um, to Robinson's credit, he played quarterback for probably like 98% of those rushing yards, but Hey, you know, that 2% makes a big difference. That's right. <laughs> um, another cu- couple fun facts I had about him, too, is that um, he, has a, he had a 7-2 and two record against opponents in the top 25. Um, he was Big East Offensive, M- Offensive Player of the Year in 2006, Gator Bowl MVP, semifinalist for the uh, Davey O'Brien Award in 2006, Fiesta Bowl MVP, he got sixth in Heisman voting in 2007. Um, he was a semifinalist for the O'Brien Award again in 2007, a semifinalist for the Walter Camp Player of the Year Award in 2007, um, Unitas Golden Arm finalist in 2008, Meineke Carbowl MVP in 2008, and seventh in Heisman voting in 2008. And then to cap off his college career, he was the Senior Bowl MVP as well going into the NFL draft. Um, he ended up being draft drafted as a second round pick by the Miami Dolphins. Um, partially drafted so high because he was also the co-winner of top combine performer that year. Um, he was used primarily in wildcat for- formations with Miami, unfortunately suffered an injury, um, played one season for them. And he ended up playing um, in the preseason for the Washington Redskins, but ultimately his pro career didn't, pan out and he's one of those players that I think again was kind of before his time yeah yeah I would have to agree with you I mean I'm not saying he could do what um Jackson is doing Lamar Jackson is doing with the Baltimore Ravens but um he could have been a similar you know version like I said I don't think he'd be putting up quite those numbers because Jackson's very special but um I agree definitely before his time and in just a recent interview on the Pat McAfee show um Pat White said he was very very close to leaving Morgantown and you know going back to a pro baseball career um and so the injury to Adam Benarek happened you know, I don't want to say someone getting injured is a good thing, but it happened just at the right time because if he wouldn't have got put in to that Louisville game, um, who knows? Pat might have left a week or two after and we would not have him number one. And that might have changed the Mountaineer program forever, honestly. Oh, I think it would have for sure. I mean, you know, he, he's just a winner everywhere he goes. Um you know, part of that's work ethic, part of it's intelligence, part of it's just at natural athletic ability. And he has all three, um, you know, you, you can't really teach that. Um, and Pat's just really, really special for that. Um, and, you know, kind of one of my favorite moments was actually the one where you mentioned that 200 
passing 200 um, receiving yard game. And um, the moment that I remember most from that game is at the end of the game where him and Steve Slayton are um, sitting on the bench and uh, that in the background of Heinz field, they're playing the Panthers growling noise and Pat, Pat White's sitting there mocking it while WB's up by like 18 with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That was a very popular video. Um, but yeah, he was just a super special player. And, um, you know, that's why we had to put him at number one, not only for the stats, but, uh, it, it was just like you said, he was a winner is what really made him the clear cut number one. Um, it just seemed like every year you knew you were going to get 10 plus wins with him being your quarterback. Absolutely. And he's still around the game too. He's now a QB coach at Campbell. Um, he's been a QB coach at a couple other stops. So um, who knows where he'll end up, but maybe there's a future collision course with WVU on his future somewhere along the lines. Um, I did have one more fun fact that I didn't know. Um, he has a daughter with Rebecca Durst, who was the second woman ever to be named the West Virginia Mountaineer mascot. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that either. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, so that is it for us, guys. It was fun reminiscing about all of these legendary players that, uh, you know, like we mentioned earlier, were very special to us and our childhood memories growing up watching these guys. So, um, if you liked our list, give us a shout out. If you thought we could have modified it and put some guys in different spots, let us know. Um, and we'll have a little conversation about it. But um, other than that, do you have anything else to add? No, um, this is a, a fun exercise. Obviously we put a lot of work into it with all this research. Um, you know, we hope you enjoyed it and let us know what you would have done differently because um, it's always fun to debate these sort of things. And, you know, the 21st century has had some really, really, really all-time great talents throughout the years. And we're really looking forward to um, this Neil Brown era and seeing who can pop out next. Yeah, 100%. Um, so as always, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone.